Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Uh, my name is Scott, and with me is my co-host, Micah Current. How are you doing today, Micah? Good, man. How are you? Ah, good, good. It's it's Monday morning, and the kids are home from school, so... They're driving you crazy. They're driving. They're wearing me out and driving me crazy. It's great. <laughs> they're home for one week, and you're like, it's time for you to go back to school. Yeah, it's time to go back to school. Or let's go on vacation. So, <laughs> hey, here's the grandparents. Go play with them for a little bit. Yes. <laughs> oh, guys. So thank you. For you, our listeners, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the last three weeks where we kind of broke down our reactions to the uh, Discovery Plus documentary series, um, Hillsong Exposed. So kind of uh, piggybacking off that, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about just some of the, I don't know if you call them interesting, crazy, the bizarre moments that uh, Mike and I have had in ministry. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, we would love for you to kind of just shoot us an email, uh, write in the comments, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and just kind of let us know what was one of your craziest ministry stories. So that's what we're going to be uh, doing this uh episode today so micah if you could think about your years in ministry how many crazy stories do you think you have are we exaggerating or are we yeah i mean i guess just do a ballpark figure but <laughs> i would say hundreds hundreds Easy. i would i would go with that i mean when you think about not only with because i've been in let's see pastoral ministry for and if i'm like counting my interim season that i've done for at least 12 years i've been doing pastoral ministry and then i had at least a decade easily probably a decade of camp ministry as well so at least 22 years of ministry stories and then that's even not even including any of the times i've guest spoken all the crazy stuff in college when i was doing ministry out there so yeah there's a lot of stories that I'm sure we can, we can pull out. Now are these, um, now are these funny stories, these bad stories or these horrific I'd say, stories? I mean, are I'd these, say. Cause I, I have all know. different styles, kinds. There's, I think it's all different styles and kinds because I mean, there's some bizarre stories that are just absolutely hilarious. And then there's some stories where literally they're tragic almost mm -hmm. like, it's almost like if I was to tell this, like if I was to go outside and tell someone who, doesn't go to church at all and i was to tell this a story to them they would probably be like shocked and be like i can't believe that happened in a church like that is insane mm -hmm. um yeah um yeah so i think it's just kind of run the gambit of everything and i mean it's i mean it is what it is like and that's the thing i think a lot of times when we think about ministry you know, I think there's a perception, or at least especially for those who go into the ministry, you know, you always hear you're going into ministry. It's going to be fun because you're serving God. It's almost like watching those Hillsong, come to Hillsong College, like that Hillsong College video, like, hey, use your gifts to serve the Lord. It's going to be great and wonderful. And everyone's like, yay, this is awesome. And then when you actually are in the ministry, you're like, huh, this definitely was not the way I thought it was going to turn out. <laughs> Ministries not all as I thought it was going to be like 24-7 serving the Lord, fun, happiness, no issues, no problems, no awkwardness whatsoever. 
And yet here we are. <laughs> yes. With stories of awkwardness and weird and hurt and everything else under the sun. <laughs> All right. So I guess we have to do, are we doing rock, paper, scissors is going to start first? I mean, I can start. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um well, you, actually, I could, I could. Start as we're talking, with, I'm like, I'm thinking of all these stories, and I'm just like jotting these notes down real quick, just to. Yeah, kind of that's like, how I'm doing it too. I'm so thinking of stories. As, I have more to jot. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of a more of a lighthearted uh, story. Um, and more recently, I uh, I was leading worship at a church yesterday, um, and I had never been to this church. My wife has never been to this church. Um, we met with the pastor last week and his wife and they were like, Hey, would you like to come and, uh, we worship at our church. You know, we hear good things and, um, you know, it's a church plant. I think they've been there about five years. Uh, and it's, it's, it's funny. Cause in the small little town that we live in, they recently bought, I guess it was an old skate rink, like an old skating rink. And they, um, have converted it into a church. They're almost done with it. But like, it looks really cool on the inside. They've really done a good job of converting it and making it look like a more of an industrial kind of church without being a church with the fact that it was an old roller skate rink. So yesterday, um, you know, I'm working at another church currently, but I, I was, I was asked to be, I guess, worship leader. And, um, it's only like five or 10 minutes away from where the church I'm working at currently is. So I, I was able to go to the church I work at, set up our live stream, make sure the production guys were all good to go. And then got my car, went over to the other church where I was leading. So we went through the rehearsal. Everything went great. Sound check went great. I sat down, you know, 20 minutes or so before the service. And a guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, is this your first time at this church? And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. he has no idea that I'm leading worship today. And um, he was like, well, we have, we have this uh, men's group that meets on Saturdays. We have, um, have Scott's dog barking in the background. Do what? I'm muted, so. Oh, okay. I don't know where, now you got to edit all this. <laughs> I won't edit this. You know, I'm not going to edit all this. It's all right. So the so, guy invited you to uh, was telling you about, hey, men's Bible. Yeah, study he's like, there's and- a men's Bible study and a men's breakfast on Saturday. We would love for you to come. You know, these are all the events like this guy. And my wife, when he left, the, um, the guy looked at me and he was like. Or my wife looked at me and was like, man, this guy should be a greeter for church. And so we. Um, you know, we continued to sit there and again, he had no idea that I was the worship leader that day. And so you know, the countdown's going off and then I get up there and I put my guitar on and I said, Hey, welcome to church. Let's stand together and worship. And the look on that guy's face, because he had no idea that I was the guy leading worship that day. <laughs> Cause I just played it. I played it cool. I played it incognito. Um, and truth be told, I, it was my first time there and it was my, um, you know, first time visiting that church on a Sunday morning, but he had no idea I was leading worship. And, but he had like this shock, you know, the, the, the shocked look on his face because Oh, wait, he's our worship leader today. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. It was just, that was kind of more of a lighthearted um, story. And like my wife said, yeah, uh, as soon as he walked away, he was like, man, he would be the greatest greeter. He tells you about all the stuff at the, the church. He tells you, um, you know, how you can get plugged in. 
makes you feel welcome. He's like, Hey, we have coffee here. We have bottled water, you know, just feel, just feel welcome, feel welcome at home. Um, we want you to be a part of our, our team and our ministry. And it was really cool. It was a good experience. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's a good story. Um, but like he, he had no idea. You know what I mean, though? Like he had no idea that I was the worship leader for the day. And I just played it cool. And he, he just looked shocked and surprised that, hey, I'm going to be the one that's leading worship to Sunday. Yeah. And I would say there's um, goodness like there is, um, you know, I'm thinking I'm trying to think of like cool, lighthearted stories like that. And there was a time when I was in camp ministry and we just started converting the seasonal camp, the state camp to a year round camp. And we were doing a lot of, we were doing a lot of um, outdoor education for schools, especially charter schools and inner city schools. And we had this one school out in Dayton, Ohio, that was coming. And, um, some of these kids were very rough. Like we would play capture the flag and, and literally like my boss was running and he just like stepped like a foot into the forest. And literally these kids from Dayton would just stop because they're like, what's this wooded thing? Like they were scared to death to like, and like literally they could just like take one step in there and tag them and they would not go in that woods. It was like, that was a forbidden zone. Like they were not going to go in those wooded areas. Um, but I know particularly our one of our female staff members, uh, she uh, was having a difficult time because there's these girls who were in the same team building group. And these girls did not like each other at all. Absolutely hated each other. They would get in fights at the hallways of school. And now the teachers thought, you know, it'd be a good idea. Let's put these girls in the same group where they have to trust each other and do these team building exercises. Um so I remember like every morning when we would have like uh, when we'd wake up, we'd have like a quick like staff meeting and, you know, um, this female staff member would just say, oh, man, it's it's hard. I feel like half the time I'm just saying, guys, be quiet, listen to instructions and have to like be more of a disciplinary and to kind of and could barely could get through everything they needed to get through. So they shouldn't get through all the low ropes team building stuff she needed to get through. But at the very end, we always had this campfire setting. And um, as we would do this campfire setting, um, we would always have the students share about their experience for wilderness survival. And this one girl stood up with a couple other girls from Aaron's group and Aaron's thinking, Oh no, they're going to start talking. <laughs> she doesn't know what they're going to say. She's worried. And the um, girls were saying, you know, when I came here, these girls, I hated these girls. I considered them my enemies. But being here for these three days, I now consider them my friends. And I love these and I love these girls so much. And it was like and I mean, the teachers are crying and Aaron's crying. And I'm thinking, wow, like that's a cool story of transformation right there. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was it was pretty sweet just to uh, see something like that happen and just be able to witness something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, good stuff, man. I do yeah. have another funny wilderness. I do have another funny outdoor education story. So I'll just go ahead and share it. Okay. So we have so a lot of times and. 
and for those of you who are listening, there's times when, when you're dealing with doing outdoor education, you're a Christian camp and you're dealing with schools, you're always going to have people who are, who, you know, don't believe in Christianity, don't follow Jesus. And, you know, that's okay. You know, stuff like that happens. That's okay. Well, there was one teacher who was um, an atheist, like everything else. Actually, he even had like tattoos of, of fish gills like up by his shoulder blades to kind of indicate that he evolved from like a fish or something. So, so, so it was, so we would always have these things and we didn't really share our faith too much unless the kids asked us to, and then we would kind of share it with them, but we never made it a big to do. So again, I didn't know that this guy was like anti-Jesus, anti-Christianity. So we're doing this, like scavenger hunt and it's starting to rain and I got assignments. I go to this guy, no clue. And I said, Hey, do you think you could go and be in the chapel? Cause we had an outdoor chapel. Like, can you be in the chapel? Because there's an overhead. I mean, it's, it's far away from the main site. The kids have to get to you and it's covered. So you're not going to get rained on in case it storms. Cause we're supposed to have like a, a rain shower hap- coming by in a little bit. So he just took his paper, didn't say anything to me, and he went down there. And then next thing you know, my boss comes up to me and he goes, hey, uh, did you send so-and-so down to the chapel? And I go, yeah, why? He goes, yeah, that guy, that guy doesn't, that guy's an atheist. Like he doesn't <laughs> like Jesus or anything else. I'm like, oh, and he go, and I go, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And he goes, well, and he's and, and at this point, like he's trying to be serious, like, why'd you do that? But then he starts laughing, goes, Yeah, he's such an atheist, he won't go inside the chapel. So it's pouring rain. He's sitting on a picnic table outside of the chapel with his raincoat on, just getting drenched because he would not go inside the chapel where it was dry and he wouldn't get rained on. And I'm just like, I'm like, are you sure? So I'm kind of monitoring it. So I just kind of walk and look down. And sure enough, he's just sitting there with his hood over his head head it just torrential downpour on this guy and I, and I just felt so bad i'm like i'm like i'm gonna apologize to him and john's like oh no it's okay don't so i end up apologizing I'm like hey man i'm so sorry i didn't know he's like oh no it's okay i'm like sorry if i would have knew i wouldn't have sent you down there i would have sent you somewhere else so That's so hilarious. yeah <laughs> so yeah the that, things we don't know the things we don't know and then <laughs> at least that sometimes the, the the things you don't know usually turn out and bite you in the butt but at least that one made for a good funny story <laughs> wow i don't know if i can top that oh don't worry i have i have a lot more man <laughs> yeah i mean there there's just so many stories over the years where i'm like you know some of it's funny some of it's not some of it's you know, like you said before, serious and, you know, can really uh, bring us down as, as pastors and leaders of churches and, you know, on more of a kind of a, I guess, serious note, you know, your listeners, for your listeners, I, I think you just need to know that that stuff happens and to take care of your pastors and to take care of your leaders because they get through enough, um, it's hard enough to preach the word of God, teach the word of God and, and lead people to Jesus. And um, that student 
Scott, for example, was is a good example of that because you know you don't know what he's going through in life and what he believes and what he doesn't believe. And if you could be that uh, example for him and lead him to Jesus as a result, you know, then why not? Right? Because that's just an example of kind of the hard things that we go through. Um, it was funny, but in the moment, like ultimately, you want that that student to to come to Jesus as a result of of camp ministry because that's why you do what you did um i mean i have so many stories like i said before in 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 a number of your episodes like my my dad has been doing ministry for 40 years he's been a pastor for 40 years and um been all over the country we've been in mississippi and in michigan and uh southwest ohio and he's been in north dakota he's now in pennsylvania um, and my dad said in 40, my dad has said this numerous times, but in 40 years of ministry, it, it's taken him, he's not had bad seasons everywhere he's been. I mean, there's been, there been problems in pretty much every church he's pastored, but it's taken him 40 years to get to the point of, you know, he's happy and he doesn't have a lot of issues where he's at currently. Um, and he's yeah. thankful for that and he celebrates that. But, um, some of the stories that I had were, were really more centered towards him and his ministry. I mean, I have some of my own, um, but I just remember as a kid thinking, why would somebody throw a fit over something so simple and so stupid? Um, but I remember my dad was pastoring this one church and um, the, the church custodians were faithful to the church. They were faithful servants and they had been cleaning that church for, I don't know, 20 years, right? Like it wasn't a full-time job, but it was like, Hey, they came in on Saturdays. They got the church ready for Sunday. You know, there were, you know, three sets of bathrooms. They had to clean all of those. They had to vacuum the the entire church. They were there a good bit Friday evening, all day Saturday, you know, getting ready for Sunday. Um, And, you know, the church had just never given them a break from ministry, like, and the serving role of, you know, cleaning the church and getting it ready. So my dad was like, y'all want to go on vacation, me and my family will take care of it. And, you know, as eight year old me or 10 year old me, like, what do you mean? I got to clean church bathrooms. Like, this is just mm-hmm. right. So, um, but it wasn't bad because we all kind of like just teamed up and, you know, we worked together and we got the church clean for Sunday. And so the very next week there, there was a church board meeting and uh, somebody on the board uh, went into the restroom and, the toilet paper was the wrong way. Oh, did you know that toilet paper is supposed to go this way instead of this way? And um, it was one of those things like where somebody in the church threw a fit because the toilet paper was the wrong way. And so not knowing that my family, you know, my dad included cleaned the church the following week, they wanted to like throw the custodians out into the road because they, because they put the toilet paper the wrong way. And so they walked into the board meeting with the roll of toilet paper in their hand and they threw it at my dad. And they said, did you know this is the wrong way? And my dad, just Ah. as calm, uh, my dad, just as calm as could be was, you know, wasn't trying to be smart about it, but he was like, I didn't know there was a wrong way. I was just thankful there was toilet paper. And he was like, what are we going to do about this? He's like, well, just so you know, my family and I cleaned the church. Well, the custodians were out of town last weekend. And she just, in that moment, she just was like, I think she felt really, really, really guilty in that moment 
for throwing such a fit. But it shouldn't have mattered. It shouldn't matter who did it, right? It should just be one of those moments. It was a teachable moment. But in the, in, in, the, in the moment, she was all fired up about the presentation to the church. But, like, I'm honestly thinking there's third world countries that don't have toilet paper. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was just, I mean, I, I remember that. And that happened over 25 years ago. Yeah. Goodness. Wow. Yeah. That one, Scott. (laughs) Jeez. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like with that one, as far as teachable moments, there is. There was. Yeah, there was a time when I was doing an interim and I was an interim at this little small church. And literally, this was a church that from a financial perspective and from a communal perspective, this church was not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. It was, I think like it was to the point where life support wasn't going to help this church. Um, even if you had, even if Ohio ministries had an infinite amount of funds to do church revitalization and they gave this church you know, X amount of money, it was not going to, I don't think it was going to thrive at all. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because there was a lot of turmoil within the congregation, specifically between the congregation and one particular person in that congregation. And I can remember because I was kind of helping them because they didn't really know how to, what to do to find a pastor. Cause they had a pastor there for years. He left and now they're trying to find somebody and they didn't really know what to do. Cause I guess the people who used to do it either passed away or they no longer attend there anymore. So I'm sitting there and I'm just there to kind of help guide them. And they even asked me if I wanted a position. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. Um, but it quickly turned to, well, this guy does this and this guy does that. And there was this constant bickering and fighting. And specifically, it would go where you had these people who would come in, they would clean the church and they would take care of everything before Sunday. And then they get their Sunday morning to get everything set up and how whatever they had set up or adjusted would be completely undone. Like they would have the temperature set at one per at, at a certain temperature. And the next thing you know, it's at a different temperature now. And when they ask about it, it's usually the one guy saying, well, I change it because a it's too warm or too cold. And B I'm giving my tithe to this church. So I get to have a say on the temperature and how things are set up. And, and they just, and they're like, we just don't know what to do with that. So one Sunday I'm there. And I'm doing stuff. And next thing you know, a fight breaks out, like a verbal fight, because someone said, hey, you know, please don't do that. And this guy's like, I can do it because I give the most money to this church and stuff. So he should No, he has the right to change the thermostat. So this is like right before service is starting. So I said, hey, hey, let's talk, buddy. So we went and I talked in. I said, so, so what's going on? And he's, and he's telling me his whole side of the story. And at the end, I basically just kind of say, 
you do realize that the I go, so I ask him like, well, what's the church? And he goes, well, church is a group of people. And I said, yeah, that's right. And do you, was there any time in the Bible where we read that someone in the church basically says, I have more control because I give the most money? And he sits there and he pauses and he looks at me and he goes, no. And I said, you know, again, I'm not your pastor. I'm just an interim. But I mean, if it's a community, then these decisions need to be made together. So I think if there's an issue between the temperature setting, then I think maybe you just need to go to your board and say, hey, this is an issue and then try to work on a compromise. And then whatever you guys compromise with, then stick, stick at that. Oh, I never thought of that before. And I'm thinking, you know, talking to people and just saying, hey, can we bump up the temperature a little bit and see if they can do something? And it's like, oh, like it was like stuff like that where communication, it's like, oh, I can actually work together with other people and try to compromise on stuff. Like, yeah, it's not one or the other. You could try to find a middle road. And if you can't find a middle road over a temperature gauge, then maybe that's not a church you need to belong to, you know? So it's, so yeah, like that's, so I, but I feel like with those stories, there's always something, whether it's toilet paper, temperature gauge, carpet, wall painting, I mean, I once heard a story at the church that I recently pastored at from another pastor that there used to be fighting because they just built a new fellowship center and one person went and decorated the bathroom one way and another family would come in and rechange it like to the point where they would repaint the walls, rechange the decor. And it's like, what was there anybody who was regulating this and saying this is what we're going to do because i mean it's ridiculous where you're just constantly repainting walls in a bathroom for years and years and years because you have two families who are fighting over how the bathroom's going to look well at that same church that i mentioned prior to this story yeah. uh there my dad had got to the church on sunday early um and found two guys fist fighting in the parking lot and guess what? They were brother-in-laws. And they were fighting over who was going to do something for Sunday morning. Oh, gosh. And I mean, it gosh. was just... Um, somebody once told my dad that he like deserved a Congressional Medal of Honor for pastoring that church. There were a lot of issues there. Um, and yeah, so... Yeah, speaking, <laughs> speaking of brothers fighting... <laughs> So this is not my story. This is one of my colleague's stories, one of my professor's stories. But he shared this story. He was a Methodist, he was a Methodist minister, and he was assigned to this church somewhere. I want to say it's like Smithville, Ohio. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's correct. And basically, it was a church that had a cemetery. And the church was thinking, you know, they just couldn't do the upkeep with the cemetery anymore. So they're trying to figure out what they're going to do to kind of no longer have responsibility with the cemetery portion of the church anymore. Well, fast forward to, they found out that the people who paid for the cemetery paid for the lot was actually a family. So there's a family in that church that actually owns the cemetery lots. 
So they now have to go talk to two brothers who both have an equal share to the cemetery lot. So here it is, a church meeting just between the pastor, the elders, and these two brothers. And right now, it's kind of agreed that, yeah, the church can no longer take care of it. We need to do something. We need to sell it off to like a funeral home or something for someone else to be able to manage this funeral lot. However, the problem is it came down to money on how much they're going to sell it. And the brothers were in some way kind of working, but then eventually they started fighting. And then eventually there was something in the contract where one got more than the other. So it wasn't really 50, 50. And as they're talking, literally the meeting explodes and one brother calls the other brother, like a filthy vile snake. The other brother goes and retorts and starts going back to them. And then this like angry outbursts that they're doing back each other eventually gets to the point where they're banging on the table the elder board and the pastor's right there there's actually swearing now happening back and forth and eventually the meeting ends with one of the brothers just storming right out they didn't resolve anything and then after the other brother storms out it's almost like this cloud of tension and then the other brother who's there sits down and goes well, let's go ahead and say a word of prayer then. <laughs> and the pastor goes, no, I think we all need to go home and pray about this. <laughs> and they just ended the meeting without closing in prayer. Like, let's just go home and pray about this, guys. Like, <laughs> oh, gosh. Jeez, families, right? <laughs> families and just their ownership of the church and church properties and I mean, we've already talked previously on our show about nepotism and how bad that could be. So, <laughs> and that's just kind of the wonderful examples of that. Have you had any, Scott, have you had any like crazy business meetings, uh, board meetings where people have just acted completely ridiculous? Um, my dad has been through several. I've, I only have one and I was going to tell that story, but like, do you have... Yeah. So at business meetings. Yeah. Uh, I have one. It actually, it's a recent one. So. And why do you think that is? I don't, well, this one, well, this one had to do with finances. And I think, I think a lot of times with business meetings, it's always about the money. It's always about the money. And even as a kid, I remember my first time I had to, I could legally vote in a church business meeting. I literally sat here in a meeting and they were arguing because years like the church would always do like a faith promise, which for those of you who don't know what a faith promise is, basically every year, some churches will, instead of just churches taking money out of their own general fund to fund missions, usually missions is kind of fund by extra giving. So usually what happens is every year there's, letters and notes that are sent out to every member of the church and they say okay our faith promise campaign's coming up here are the missionaries that we are going to sponsor how much would you like to give per month or one time to this cause and what they do is people will like kind of do a pledge so let's say out of everybody's pledge they say okay we're going to give fifty thousand dollars to missions and then usually each month as they start after everyone turns their pledge, then they kind of keep track. Okay, guys, 
We said we're going to give 50 million to missions right now. We're halfway through the year and we only have 10,000. So we have six more months to make up 40,000 to give funds to our missionaries. So it's not necessarily, and again, whether you hit your milestone or not, is not necessarily a big deal because it's not coming out of the general fund of the church. But what is a big deal is that, you know, it, it mainly keeps the person who said they're going to pledge accountable. So the accountability is more on the person who's pledging the money than the actual church administration. So I'm sitting in a meeting and literally there is a guy who wanted to get rid of the faith promise thing and decide the church to pay for it. And his proposal was, well, why don't we set this money and get rid of faith promise? Let's have this set thing for how much we want to get the missions. And then let's also cut the pastoral salary, the fund missions. And there are people who were arguing and fighting against it. There is one lady who made the, made the statement, um, how can we take care of the branches if we can't take care of the roots? And I'm like, that, that's wise. Like, that was probably the most wise thing I heard in that meeting. So eventually, you know, it, it, it didn't pass. But this guy was adamant. Every business meeting wanted to cut pastoral salary, actually cut staff so that there would be one pastor of a church of 200 <laughs> to, so that we can just have no get rid of the faith promise thing. And I can remember one time, and this is probably when I was graduated, my dad was the chair and the same guy, it came to that point where they talked about the budget. The same guy mentioned that. And my dad literally goes, what you are saying is coming out of the mouth of the devil. And we will not be cutting our pastor's salary. <laughs> and like really, really just laid the hammer down. He was not going to spend an hour there arguing about should we or should we not cut the pastoral budget to have a permanent ministry budget. He goes, what you're saying is coming out of the mouth of the devil. My dad's using scripture. He is like, boom, boom, boom. No, <laughs> that's next. <laughs> but the most recent one business meeting, as I remember, it was 2020, beginning of 2020, before the pandemic happened. Uh, we weren't doing good with budget and they decided that they were going to make some cuts and I was going to take at this point, I think I was going to take at least a 28% cut to my were you full time at that point. What were you full time at that point? I am. Well, they wanted me to be full time. Even when I had my second cut and going into 2021 where it would have been a total of a 62% cut. They still wanted me to be full time, even though I was getting paid a part-time salary. And they said I was not allowed to work another job, which is ridiculous, which is. Yeah. So there's that. But at this particular business meeting, they talked about the cuts. They did everything else. OK, you know, so then, you know, as the person of the administrative team said, hey, here's the cuts, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting there just seeing what's going to happen. Well, one guy stands up. One of our elders stands up. He goes, hey, I really don't think this is right. I really think that um, I think that if we start cutting the pastoral family salary, that that's really going to affect our church in a negative way. And I do not approve this budget. If just flat out said it. Well, there's another guy up there goes, he looks at the guy who's like the chair of the administrator. He goes, are you going to say something about this? Like literally yelling from the back. Are you going to say something about this? And literally people were fighting over my salary. 
And I'm sitting there quiet and watching everything. And even one statement that was made, which was there was a point before this business meeting where they were debating if they were going to eliminate our custodians or if they're going to cut the salary of our custodians. And, you know, the administrative team decided, you know, not to cut the salary of the custodians, but then the, you know, do a brunt of the cuts to my, to my salary in my package. Um, so then once the person says, well, why can't we cut this, cut some of the custodian staff or why can't we just eliminate that? Or even if pastor's willing to clean, why can't he clean the church and keep his salary? And literally this guy who yelled dead angry opera goes, yeah, I don't think there's anybody in this church who would actually clean this for free. And literally five people stood up and says, we would be, we would volunteer to clean this church. And then he just kind of turns says like, eh. And then they even said, like, even if the pastor did decide to clean the church, they weren't going to pay him that extra salary of the custodian staff. They're just going to not do it. And it was like one of those things where I was kind of already out the door at this point. And then the pandemic hit. And then I just like, you know, let me try to get them through this year. So I kind of stayed. But I was to the point where I was like, I was ready to leave in 2020 because and it wasn't necessarily because I got cut. It was just because the reaction, mm-hmm. the reaction was just so ridiculous. And really, I just said, hey, you know, me and my family will make this work. And I kind of said, you know, we'll, we'll try to make this work, guys, because I was just tired of people fighting. And I'm like, guys, this is like not a good representation of the church. And this is not a good rep- representation of who Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Like, we're, what are we arguing about? We're arguing about money. And it was nice that people were there to stand up for me and say, hey, we're not going to tolerate this. Um, but at the same time, I did not want to have to sit there for another three hours of people arguing. And even on top of that, I kind of just said, Hey, and then I was just kind of giving a pep talk to everyone. Like guys, it's okay. And I was kind of even saying, Hey, we're doing good. We're, you know, we had a really great year in 2019. I think this year we kind of are starting to make a breakthrough. I think 2020 is going to be our year, right? Hindsight's 2020, but (laughs) it's going to be, it's going to be great. And literally, as I'm trying to do this, trying to calm everyone down and trying to do a pep talk, there's a person in the back who keeps like interrupting me. And frankly, I just said, hey, guys, I know it's getting late. I know we're tired. I know some of you are hungry. But I think what but I think this is very important for me to say this. So just bear with me for a little bit. And then people got mad at me because I wasn't listening to someone who was trying to interrupt me that I cut them off. And it's like. And literally went to the board of elders and I had to sit in a meeting of people arguing and basically saying, oh, we didn't like this happen. And then the elder board's like, well, you wrote a letter to us. What's your intent? Like, do you want you want you want us to start moving forward to get rid of Pastor Scott? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It was like they wrote a letter to the board to investigate, but they didn't want to get me fired. So they just want to have a time to complain about me right when I'm present and I just had to sit there and take it like it's like I had to take it my whipping and my lashes it's like what so yeah that's (laughs) so that's probably one of the craziest um business meetings that I've ever been a part of that I had to be in what about you Micah (laughs) I mean there's been a couple uh for me how 
Let me ask you this. How did your, was your wife in that, that meeting? No, she had, okay. because usually with those meetings are, it's usually Lizzie was still little and had regular nap time. So Laura left to take care of the kids. And I think part of it was, you know, she wanted to make sure the kids got down for a nap, kids got fed, everything else. Cause we tried to do our business meetings on Wednesday. No one would show up. Mm-hmm. So we did it Sunday after churches. Cause then everyone's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So we had to change it so we could have actually make quorum because we wouldn't make quorum other ways, or you'd have five people voting on a budget. And it's like, well, that's not, <laughs> that's not fair to everyone else. So yeah. So she was never in those meetings when those went down. Lucky, which thank, which thankfully I'm glad that she wasn't because they were yeah. very, very brutal. Yeah. Um, I can remember like my dad just dreading them as a kid. And as a kid, we, we wouldn't sit in them. We weren't there. Like we were, you know, they would like offer an extended time of children's church or children's ministry and stuff while that mm-hmm. stuff was going on. And they would throw a movie in and order the kids pizza or something uh, to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. One more specifically when I was, uh, I think this is in like 20, I think it was in 2016. Um, I, my wife and I had lived we were in North Carolina for a year at a church. And then we came back to Ohio, uh, in 2016, she took a full-time job at Miami and I took a part-time worship pastor job at a church in the area. And they, um, I thought initially that it was going to be a, just a part-time worship ministry job. And just, they basically, I met with their, their elders and their staff and, was like, Hey, you know, this is my style. This is who I am. And they were really excited about it. And so basically, um, I came in and they felt good about it and they let me lead worship. And then a couple of weeks later, the pastor was like, well, you're going to be the interim. And I'm like, well, I thought I was going to be, you know, the person for this, you know, long-term. And so, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I need income. We've already moved here. Um, We'll figure it out. And so a couple of months went by and on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, most churches use countdowns before service start to just let people know this is when service is going to be starting. And so I was up in the tech booth checking with our volunteers, the sound guy, media person, uh, lighting everything and just said, Hey, you guys are okay. You guys have everything you need for Sunday. Um, just kind of chatting with him right before service started. The pastor then comes up to me three minutes before the service and says, we're having a business meeting after service today to vote whether or not you're going to stay. Ah, jeez. And I was like, and this is right before I'm going up to lead worship. And I looked at Alicia, my wife, and she looked at me and we're like, we just moved here. Like we, we, we moved here like two months ago kind of thing. And so, um, wow. I led worship. I mean, you can't make this up. I'm honest to God. This is what happened. Um, and I lead worship pastor preaches a sermon. Sure enough, here comes a business meeting. And these people were livid. Like it was one of the most brutal you said brutal earlier, one of the most heart gut wrenching meetings I think that I've ever sat through. And it was like, I was on trial yet 
I didn't even know I was going to be on trial. So I had no way to defend myself. And so like on the fly, they were like, what have you done since you've been here? And at that point I was like, well, I've done the social media. I've redone our website. I've got, you know, a new database for emails, uh, a lot of administrative stuff. Plus we've enhanced the worship. We've enhanced the stage, the way the stage looks. We've, you know, really changed the game as far as worship. And I think people are engaged. And then like that meeting lasted over two hours and it was just, people yelling and screaming and some of the older people in the church were like, well, you didn't ask us about it. Why did you hire him? And I think they weren't really mad at me. They were more mad at the pastor who just basically hired me without telling them. And I want to know why I want to know why. (laughs) And so they, they voted sure enough, they voted whether to keep me or not. And um, my wife was in tears. That's why I kind of asked why if your wife has ever been, had ever been in any of those uh, situations. No, yeah, so my geez. wife, who we were freshly married, we've been married a year or two, and she had never seen the side of the church. And so um, we, you know, they voted. And I don't remember what the vote was. It was like between 70 and 80 percent decided to keep me. Um, and I they were like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to go pray about it. And so I left and I turned my phone off, turned my computer off. I was like, I'm not, I, I seriously have to just think about this because this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up staying there for a year, um, but it was, that was a, that was a rough ministry for me um, because no matter what I did, people got upset. No matter if it was good, bad or indifferent, people got upset. And, mm-hmm. and the majority of it, majority of it was the pastor had been there for 27 years and he needed to retire or move on. And, um, people were upset with him and the decisions that he made. Uh, but I ended up being the scapegoat as a result. So mm. it was, that was a rough season for us, but, uh, yeah, that was one example of a great or not so great business meeting. Uh, another example, um, just crazy circumstances, I was working full-time at a church and um, uh, our pastor had had brought me on and I was doing worship and I was doing young adult ministry and we hired a children's pastor. So we had a youth pastor, myself doing uh, young adults and worship, creative arts. And then we had a children's pastor and a lead pastor and a year and a half into that journey, the lead pastor left. He was like, I just, I don't feel like I should be here anymore. Mm. And he had transitioned out. And we, you know, we had an interim pastor and then right before Easter, like on Good Friday, literally on Good Friday, one of the the board members came into my office and put a document on my desk and said, we need you to sign this. And I'm like, what is it? Uh, Basically, it's a new contract saying that if you don't do what we want you to do in the next two months, 60 days, that we can opt out of the agreement, basically terminating me as creative arts pastor. Jeez. And I was like what am I supposed to do? Like I just got engaged. My wife was, or the, you know, the girl I was going to marry was getting ready to move to this area. And we were trying to figure out, you know, life and how we were going to do life together. And they put a con- new contract on my desk and I was like, all right. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, that's another crazy example. And then, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the craziest, I think, in my my ministry, I've kind of focused a lot on my dad's uh, side of things growing up in a pastor's home. But like, we moved to a church in North Carolina. 
we were there, I think seven or eight months and the church had been without a pastor for three years. And, um, they put together a minister team of three different pastors that would rotate. They put new bylaws in place for this church. They set this church up for a win, right? Beautiful campus had a family life center that was like huge, right? Like it had a gym in it, multiple purpose rooms, uh, like a retreat center for guests to come stay at. If, you know, they were speaking at the church, you know, doing revivals, whatever you want to call it, speaking engagements, guest speakers, there was places for those people to stay. There were showers, you know, it, it was really nice. And they had, I think 12 to 15 acres of land two two decent buildings, you know, the main churches and their family life center, a uh, decent chunk of property. And they had, you know, $150,000 in the bank. So this church was really set up to win. Um, they brought me on and we started and we brought the, the lead pastor on as well. They had a lead pastor for the first time in three years. And um, they, they just, they were so reluctant to change that, it just, it, it was ultimately their demise. And we, we got there for seven months and then we, you know, we were both off our jobs back in Ohio. So we ended up, you know, kind of bowing out gracefully. Mm-hmm. And then we found out later that, uh, you know, I think we left in January, but August of that year, the, the senior pastor, the lead pastor, um, <sighs> found out that the church had formed a board behind his back. And like in lieu of the board that they put in place, basically reverting back to their old habits and they were going to vote him out as lead pastor. And he found out. And on Saturday, he cleaned out his office, wrote his resignation letter, preached his last sermon on Sunday. And then he read his resignation, put his keys and his resignation letter on the pulpit and walked out of the church. Hmm. Church of God then came in and closed the church. Church of God doesn't even own that building anymore. It's a Presbyterian church now. Mm, yeah. And and I think I think when we think about some of the pertaining issues within churches, a lot of it has to do with not being able to change, mm-hmm. not being able to change with the times. And I think a lot of times the change, and you would think that maybe the change is has to do with, well, you know. You know, the Bible never changes, so we're not going to change who we are, what we believe, but it's never those things. It's never doctrinal or theology matters where people are having these issues they want to change, but it's always just the randomest stuff. Like, I can remember this, and again, this kind of, maybe this goes into why my salary got cut. But in 2019, at the beginning of 2019, I noticed that we were having an issue in worship because it seemed like every time we would be in the middle of our worship service, we'd have our opening prayer, we play a couple songs, we do the offertory. Well, during the offertory, one of our ushers would come in and we had one of those like old wooden like attendance boards where people would change out the numbers and show how many, how many people are attending service that day. And it was like any time when that usher came in, everybody didn't care what was happening during service. All the eyes would always turn and look towards that attendance board to see what the number was. 
And I, so I went to my elder board. I said, Hey guys, I think this might be an issue. I'm noticing that it's becoming a distraction within service people. It seems like anytime when we're having our time of worship time of whatever, anytime when the usher comes in to change it, there's always something. And I'm thinking, can we move it or take it down or do whatever with it so that it's not a distraction? So the elder board says, we'll talk to worship arts. So I talked to worship arts and said, hey, guys, you know, here's kind of what's going on. Here's how I feel. So the worship arts team voted to take down the boards. So we go in there. We take down the boards. They're all down. They're in storage. And we're just going to wait to see what happens. So the first Sunday comes up and we let the ushers know, hey, there's a sheet of paper here. This is where you're going to keep track of the attendance. We're not going to put it on the board anymore because they always keep track of it on paper anyway. So you're just going to do that. Literally, the first Sunday that those boards are taken down, nobody said a word. Next Sunday, nobody said a word. It was like a month. And then finally I get an email from my head elder basically saying, wow, I'm so excited. The church is changing because really no one says said anything about these attendance boards being taken down. It wasn't until August of that year. So we took them down in February. It's August. And then finally, worship, someone from Worship Arts is arguing about the attendance boards being down. And I'm sitting in a meeting, I'm sitting, actually, I'm sitting at a senior luncheon with a bunch of our seniors. And someone asked me, hey, when can we get the things back up? I said, well, we'll have to talk to the worship arts team because they're the ones who made the decision to take it down. And then they go, well, was it your decision? I go, no, I didn't make the decision to take it down. They were the ones who made the decision to take it down. Like I suggested, said, hey, this is an issue. There's is a problem. What should we do? They made the decision. Anyway. So worship arts has to deal with it. And they decide, you know what? We're not going to deal with this. We're going to send it up to the elder board. So they send it up to the elder board. So now at an elder meeting, we're discussing if we're going to put up these, this attendance board. And we sat there, we discussed it, we talked about it. And unanimously, the elder board said, no, we are not going to put those attendance boards back up. Okay. So Sunday morning, I'm in church, and the guy who kind of mentioned it, I said, hey, he asked me about it. I said, well, here's how it went. I brought your information to the worship arts team. They discussed it. They decided to send it up to the elder board. The elder board discussed it, and the elder board voted, and it was unanimous that we weren't going to put the attendance boards back up. This was the next statement this person said to me. Well, can we get like a group of people together to overturn the elder board's decision? Basically, can we get a mob to overturn the board's decision? And I said, you would have to check the bylaws, but I don't think you can do that. <laughs> so then, so then after I have resigned and left, I guess that was after I had left, I guess that came back up again about getting those things up. And one of the elders was preaching a sermon and basically addressed that in the sermon and saying, that is a form of idolatry. We will not be putting up those attendance board, period. The elder board voted on it. It is decided. It was unanimous. We're not putting it back up. 
And plus, that's not the reason why we go to church anyway. We don't go to church to check the numbers to see how many people are attending here. Ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was just blown away by that. Just blown away by that. And well, there uh, were a couple. There were a couple of circumstances um, when I worked at the church in North Carolina. Uh, back to that for a second. The I was part-time, but we agreed on a salary package that was part-time. And uh, I was engaged, getting ready to get married. Mm. We were actually coming to Ohio to get married. And I set up everything. I scheduled a worship leader. I put all their slides in the computer. I you know, did all my other responsibilities with the website updates and the social media posts. And... Other things that I did besides actually physically being there on Sunday morning. Um, got married, came back, and went to go get my paycheck. And I opened my check, and this is before, you know, direct deposit, you know, became a real thing at churches. Uh, and I noticed that my check was half of what it normally is. Hmm. And I went to the office administrator. I'm like, hey, why is my check this? And she was like, she was the one who wrote the checks. And she was like, well, you weren't here Sunday, so we're not going to pay you. Oh, so I, I went, I went into the pastor's office and I said, Hey, I've got an issue. We need to work this out. And so he and I talked, I'm like, they're not, you got, you agreed that, you know, if I set everything up, I'm still going to get paid. This is still going to be um, part of what I do. I did everything else I was supposed to do. I set everybody up for a win on Sunday. I just physically wasn't here. Um, this isn't going to fly. So basically long story short of that, like they fix my check, but like, it should never come to that. Like you should, yeah. like, even if you have a guest worship leader, pay the guest worship leader and then pay your worship pastor, continue to pay your worship pastor. Who's there every week. Anyway, like I literally, we got married on a Saturday. We came home on like Friday, got married Saturday. No, I'm sorry. We came home Thursday, had a rehearsal Friday, got married Saturday, was gone Sunday. And we came back to North Carolina on Monday. We didn't even do a honeymoon. Like it was just like we 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 had because we had you know moved to North Carolina and we had just started jobs and we needed to come back to work. So we only missed mm -hmm. a couple of days. And so um I was like, you know, this isn't gonna fly. And so that same person had there was a couple of instances where they didn't want to pay me for whatever reason or not write me mm -hmm. my full amount for my checks. And then when I announced that I was leaving the church to come back to Ohio to move back to Ohio, um the church had bought me a computer to do all my work. And the pastor was like, yeah, you can, you know, he didn't, I don't, to this day, I don't believe that he checked whether or not like it was cool. But for the most part, he was like, yeah, you could keep that computer. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, cool. Right. I went to go, you know, turn my keys in and get my last check. And that same office administrator who, who, by the way, continued to be a problem the entire time that I was there um, said, I need your computer. She wasn't going to give me my paycheck until I gave her the computer back. Jeez. So I called my wife. I tried to call the pastor who was nowhere to be found. Um, and at that point, I believe he was checked out too, but uh, I, I'm sitting in the sanctuary like, God, what have you done? Where are we at? Why are we here? <laughs> like, like what, what, what do we do? And so I basically wiped that computer 
uh, and, you know, refurbed it and just handed it to her and got my check, gave her my keys and walked out and never went back. Yeah. It and, was and just, actually, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. And, and no, you bring up a good point because, you know, the, the, because there's been a couple of moments where I've had to sit in a sanctuary or had to sit somewhere outside in the wilderness and go, okay, God, what the heck's going on? Like, and as much as I keep seeing like internet memes, like church memes saying like, oh, well, it's not God that does anything. It's the people that do something. So you should still come to church because you're not going to church for the people. You're going to church for God. But where I kind of have to say that's faulty thinking is if we are supposed to be like the apostle Paul says, we're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. We're supposed to be a reflection of Christ. Then when I walk into a church, I would expect people who say they're Christians would people who are in church leadership or who are voted onto these boards should reflect Christ. So when they don't reflect Christ, then that becomes an issue. So when your pastor's literally feeling like low and defeated and checked out, yeah, it's not God who does that, but man, you can't just say, well, we don't take the responsibility because technically it's, it's, church is all about jesus it's not about the people and it's like well no there's there's christ the head and then there's his body the bride which is all of us and if we're not being a good reflection of the groom that we are attached to then then we're we're basically making a mockery of his gospel we're, we're not being a we're being a poor reflection of mm-hmm. christ and it hurts people and that's kind of and it hurts people in ministry too and it's it's insane um yeah goodness and i think i mean we talked about finances kind of being a problem why sometimes people can act irate i think another time it could just be this sense of pride and egotism where people feel like you know like my earlier story where i give the most money which again it goes back to money uh but i can do whatever i want and i had a I had a situation at a camp with a camper where were they not a happy camper? No, not a happy camper. This, well, this story is kind of, that was a bad joke. I know (laughs) kind of tragic, kind of sad, or I mean, kind of tragic, kind of funny too. So it's junior high week and there's two guys who would always come to senior high week, but senior high week land on like football two a days. They couldn't be there. So the mom asked the camp director at the time, can my sons come to camp, even though they're older, they're, they're basically juniors in high school. Can they come to a junior high camp and come as campers? The camp director said, yes. So it's like, okay. So they came and they're in a cabin and there, there is a cabin and actually Jordan's dad was the camp pastor. And he's also was staying in that cabin but then there was a junior counselor who was only a freshman in high school. I think either a freshman or sophomore in high school. His name was Nick. And every time Nick kept having problems, because anytime when Nick would ask, tell the campers to do something, one of the older boys would basically say, well, I'm older than you. You can't tell me what to do. 
So, you know, if they're supposed to be in the cabin or laying down, he would just not lay down. He would not listen. And that was the thing because the camp pastor, who was technically the head, um, the head counselor in that cabin, was always doing his pastoral duties at the camp, was barely in the cabin. So it was this junior counselor who had to deal with this guy who is basically a grade or two above him in high school, who's basically saying, I'm older than you. You're this. I'm a junior. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to listen to you. And, you know, they had to talk about it to the director. Director's like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, let's work on compromise, blah, blah, blah. So eventually it's like nap time, crash time, what we call crash time. And apparently the story that I heard was that this guy wanted to go take a shower the junior counselor told him, no, he goes, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Cause I don't have to listen to you. So he just like walked all the way to the shower house, took a shower and then walked back and now, and basically walked back through the woods where there's also a girl's cabin next door too, just in a towel, <laughs> like no clothes, just a towel around this guy's waist. Sounds so like then he, he goes, what? Sounds like he didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care. So he, um, Gets back to the cabin and the counselor's like, hey, you need to do that. Hey, you got to listen to me, blah, blah, blah. That's what the director says. That's what, you know, Pastor Jeremy says. Guy doesn't do anything. Then finally, there's a kid, just a junior hire, who basically says, you got to listen to our counselor. Like basically tells this older kid what's up. Well, that irated this guy. This guy literally gets up on this kid's bed gets on top of him. And again, he's just only in a towel at this point and literally just holding this kid's down where his face is in his pillow where the kid can't breathe. And he's basically buck naked on top of this kid. Mm. So literally Nick had to get up there and grab this guy and throw him off the bunk, grab him, said, put your clothes on. We're going to go. And finally at that point, Jeremy came in and he explained everything and the kids like crying And finally, Jeremy took the kid, took him right to the director. And the director goes, okay, he's going to go home immediately. So I get done with my crash time and I'm getting ready to, you know, do my responsibilities. And I get told by the director, Scott, you need to take this kid home. I go, I go, okay. Like, like, why me? Yeah. Well, because I guess, (laughs) because because really I was the one who could, who was, I was, probably the only one who didn't have responsibilities that day. And I could, and I was trusted with it. And I, and he knew that like, I could be very diplomatic because here's where the rest story comes. I asked him what happened and he told me every detail of what happened. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I'm like, where does this guy live? He lives in Portsmouth, which is the Southern tip of Ohio. And I'm in North of Columbus. Yep. And I have to, and my responsibilities and I have responsibilities for dinner. And it's like, there's no way I'm going to make that trip to get all the way down and get all the way back. So I was told, well, his parents are going to meet you halfway. So we met in Grove City, just south of Columbus. So I had this kid. He's in my truck. We're driving down. And this kid's crying. He's like, stupid camp. And he's like basically trying to justify everything. He's like, I don't have to listen to that guy or whatever. And he's like very like shaken and upset. And I'm like, okay, this kid's really scared to death right now because his parents have to come pick him up. I'm like, okay. So I'm like kind of talking to him like, Hey man, you know, it'll be okay. You know, Hey, 
You know, I mean, and I said, you know, you're at a junior high camp, you know, that's, that's not your fault that, that, I mean, I mean, I was being honest. I'm like, they shouldn't have sent a senior hire to a junior high camp. Like literally there was good. There's already going to be an issue. So we finally get there. We pulled into a Bob Evans. I pull in and we're just waiting there. Finally goes, Oh, here comes my parents. This van pulls up, pulls it right next to me. I walk out. I see this guy's mother, this short, sweet lady. She's like, Oh, Hey, how are you? Very nice. Then I see this big guy walk across there, like six foot four, ripped, muscular man, like scared the bejesus out of me. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it has this deep voice. And I'm like, and this is this kid's dad. And the guy goes, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die today. <laughs> so I go over there and he goes, can you tell me why? We're picking up our son. The director never told the parents what happened. They just said, you got to come pick up your son now. Now, The responsibility is on me to tell this guy what happened. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure. The only thing Wade told me is your son was just kind of bullying some of the younger kids and doing it for a couple of days. And it just got to the point where it was just ruining a camp experience for the junior hires. So that's why we sent him home. Like being very diplomatic, which again, I think that's why the director sent me do it so he's like oh it's so i'm like if you want to know more of the details you're going to have to call wade and talk to him he's like oh okay so they got in the car got back and literally i floored it all the way back to Rango so i could get my stuff but i just wanted to get the heck out of grove city because that guy looked like he was this that guy looked like he was thirsty for some blood he's like why do i have to pick up my son oh <laughs> uh. So I want to know why that kid had a, such an attitude of an elitist attitude, probably because his dad. <laughs> Jeez. Like father, like son, right? <laughs> we, yes. We, uh, we talked a little bit about like, what we call it switch hitting a couple of weeks ago, a couple yeah. of months ago. And uh, have you ever, I know that you're getting ready to transition to a mm-hmm. UMC church and, you know, you and I are both really associated with the church of God Anderson. And Mm -hmm. um, have you ever had a situation where somebody's trying to, to come, not not come get you, but get you to be a part of their staff where it's like, it's super awkward. And uh, like poaching. I I don't, I don't want to say poaching, for example, I, I, or for, for reference, but like the reason I'm saying that. So a couple months ago, this Mm -hmm. is in like, what month are we in? We're in June. June. Um, this was back in the winter, right? So like February, March, I had led worship at this church in our area. It was a Nazarene church. And uh, I had led, I think once or twice, and it was a cool church. And I was supposed to go back and there was an ice storm. And so their parking lot was just covered in ice. And, you know, some of their congregation was older and they didn't want to risk you know, somebody falling the liability and they just weren't able to get the parking lot cleaned. So like part of my background in ministry has been video production. So basically I set up a worship, you know, I recorded worship in my, uh, in my house. I recorded video announcements in my house, like an online church intro. Basically I put together an entire service Mm. for this church to just publish on YouTube and Facebook and stuff. So they could go live the next day because they weren't going to have in-person services. The following week, the pastor had just like texted me out of the blue and was like, hey, uh, really love what you did on Sunday. Would love it if you could come back and lead again. 
what time can you connect? And I was like, I mean, I'm pretty flexible. Uh, my schedule is pretty open at this, you know, at this point. And uh, he's like, well, I'd love to jump on a call with you at some point. And I'm like, well, you name, you name the time and we'll make it happen. And so I was like, sure. So we, we, uh, I get this just out of the blue. I'm sitting at work. I'm sitting at Miami, my other job. And I get a text and said, well, how does 3.30 today sound? Okay. So I jump on this Google meet with him and he's like, I really like your style of worship. I really like what you can do with video. I think you could do a lot for this ministry. And his exact question, Scott, and, and, and I quote, what will it take to get you here? End quote. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, get you on the staff, lead a couple uh, Sundays a month, if not like every Sunday, you know, we, we really need somebody. And I was like floored because like, I'm not like, I'm not like in the market, so to speak. I'm not looking to do that at this point. And it was just, I was shocked by the the question. Have you ever had anything like that? Like he was just like, what will it take to get you here? And I'm like, I think you could have approached that a little bit better. I, <laughs> I think you could have. there's been a couple times when i was at my last church where i would get letters in the mail directed to me i think i remember you saying something about from from churches saying hey we're looking for a new pastor we'd like you to go so very informal very non-relational but i can remember getting a letter that said you know scott steadman my address everything else and i opened up it says like, and it was like, dear Mr. Tucker, like it wasn't even addressed to me. It was like, even though the letter was addressed to me, the actual, like the envelope would have my name on it, but the actual letter was to somebody else saying, Hey, we like you to come and be our pastor. Here's this information. Please call us if you're interested. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, so there's that. And then the, oh, the only other times have been the times during my, um, when I've been looking for my next uh, position, there's been times where I've called people, I've had interviews with people and all of a sudden I get the rejection letter. Hey, thank you, but we're going to go in a different direction. Okay, cool. And then all of a sudden I will get an email or a phone call from this number. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who this is. And it's the same person saying, Hey, by the way, we just want to know if you're still interested in the position. I'm like, you guys just basically told me no. Yeah, why would I come now? Why would I come now? And B, so either A, I'm your second place, or B, you, you, you your team is so unorganized right now. Like you don't even know who you said yes to and who you said no to at this point. So I'm just going to go ahead. And this is also the same person who I had to keep sending three emails to him. I sent you emails with my sermon material and all my information. Oh, I never got it. Send it again. I never got it. So finally I had to text it to him. It's like, well, you have it now because it should be on your phone. And you get clicked on the hyperlink and watch it. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, that was. Um, Don't you think that that's weird though? What would it, it take to get you here? Like no, like precursor of like hey we would like you to consider joining our staff we would like you to uh, consider praying about this opportunity we're in the search of for a worship pastor like they have a worship pastor and they were like but the pastor out of the blue was just like what will it take to get you here i'm like well not asking me like that i didn't say that but i was just thinking that i mean and that's the thing i think you know 
it's something like you know my dad's been frustrated with you know stuff that's been going on at his home church and it, and, and it regards their pastoral search and he asked me questions i go dad really they have to uh, really the church has to understand do they want a pastor or do they want a ceo because it seems like the way you the process you go to find a pastor for your church is different than you trying to find a leader or a ceo of a company you know for a pastor you pray about it you send word out you see if people are called they send their responses in and then you pray over it. you know there's a certain mantra to it where then you know but i think if you're what does it take to get you here like that's business that's like Mm-hmm. that's like head hunting that's business that's a whole business aspect and that's not how a church should conduct business because i mean it almost goes up to your earlier story where it's like yeah i got there next you know there's a business meeting about if i'm going to have my job or not and it's like well if the pastor basically picked you and didn't even consult anybody then uh, a there's a reason why he did that which probably shows the culture of that congregation and b you know I'm sure the pastor wasn't just like, hey, what will it take to get you? But, you know, he's probably thinking, well, this person's good. I like him. And again, if he's thinking that he has the power to hire staff on, then like even like with the church I'm going to now, technically the pastor has the power to basically say, yeah, I want this person and that's it. But she decided to go ahead and get a team together to ask questions to interview me too. So then that way, And I've had that too, where the pastor has just said, Hey, would you consider praying about this? You know, here's a job description. And I've, I've had interviews, but not with boards. Like I've had interviews with staff. Like when I was at the the last full-time ministry job I had, I had two meetings with staff, right? I had one with the the search team within the staff. It wasn't a search team within the church. It wasn't church members. It was staff that did Mm -hmm. that search. And I had two meetings with them. One was like, here's the job. They asked me some questions. We did a follow-up. They asked some more questions and asked when I could start and how I felt about it. And then they did some reference checks and the job was mine. Hmm. The church before that, I just met with the lead pastor and he was like, we'd love you to join our staff. It would be part-time. Here's what you're expected to do. Would you be interested? Or this is how much we pay or what you will make for this. And are you interested? Hmm. And, and if so, here's here's the start date and... I had no interaction with the board. I had no search team meeting. I had no like, hey, we're going to vote you in. The last two experiences was just like an interview process and you were hired. Like there was no search process. Wow. I mean, search process by by what we're used to growing up. Like, like my dad went and had a candidating weekend and he interviewed with the pulpit committee and they did a phone interview and then maybe an in-person interview and then you do the candidating weekend where you went and you met with the Mm -hmm. the church and you had a dinner on Saturday night and you met with the board and then you preached on Sunday and then they voted and then you waited a whole week in suspense (laughs) for them to call you back to let you know whether or not they would like to offer the job. And this is what percentage of the church voted yes in your favor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we would love for you to start. And in your case, Scott, like right before you said, uh, right before we started recording, you said that the, this is the first time where they're, the, the church that you're going to is going to do like moving for you. Like they're going to help you get stuff moved and, and move mm-hmm. you to, you know, move you to your new location. So like 
all that stuff used to be, it was like this huge ordeal. And it seemed like as a kid, for me, growing up in the pastor's home, like it just took months. It just seemed like an eternity. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's crazy how times have changed. Yeah. Well, I want to tell two funny stories because they have to do with the Bible and just me being stupid with it. So, <laughs> okay. So, and both of them involve camp. So brace yourself. So there's one season where we were doing the book of Exodus. That was, and I was the main teacher. So I taught the book of Exodus and, and we'd have, and everything was Exodus themed from our wilderness hike to everything was Exodus. I think I played Moses in the, in the wilderness uh, play slash hike thing, whatever. So I know during senior high camp, I would be teaching about the plagues and I would mention that the plagues were, um, the plagues were kind of a way of God kind of denoting the other gods of Egypt. Um, you know, and I kind of talked a little bit about, you know, what the gnat represented, what the frogs, the Niles was a goddess and all that stuff. And I had one student goes, well, well, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Like, so why is that? And I said, well, because it's part of history and you can easily look it up. And if you look at Egyptian mythology, you can easily clearly find that out. And really, it kind of opens up the Bible even more to understand it. So sometimes it's reading in between the lines of what's understanding than just saying, oh, well, because why, why, why frogs? Why the river turned to blood? Why? Well, I don't know. Well, here's why. It's basically God versus the gods of Egypt. And, it's a sh- and especially going against Pharaoh as well. So it's like God versus Pharaoh and his gods. So, you know, so I kind of mentioned it that way. And eventually, you know, after there, she kind of talked to me a little bit more, but she was very like in front of everyone disrespectful. And I was just kind of like, you know, it's history. Look it up. (laughs) Like, so that same, so that same week I'm talking to fifth and sixth uh, junior, I think it's like kind of like younger junior hires. I think it was like sixth and seventh graders. And there's these two twin boys that were there. And I'm reading the story of the golden calf. As as I'm reading the scolding calf, I said, you know, there's that part where it's like the women and the men and the children of the Israelites took off their earrings and their jewelry and they threw them in. And I said, oh, the men took off their earrings. These men had piercings in their ears and these were God's chosen people. And I just made like a little sarcastic joke. And this kid's like, oh, really? And I said, if you think that's great, Jesus has a tattoo. <laughs> and it's like, he does? I go, yeah. In Revelation, it says that on his sash and on his thighs, written King of King and Lord of Lords. So, <laughs> so then my class is done. These kids go. I didn't know what class these kids went to, but the next class was Pastor Q&A with uh, Jordan's dad. Very first question that these kids asked. Pastor Jeremy, does Jesus have a tattoo? And Jeremy goes, no. And he goes, oh, yeah. And they pulled up the scripture. They're like, well, well, Scott said in Revelation, blah, blah, blah. So then fast forward, it's now lunchtime. I'm sitting down. I'm enjoying talking with the staff. I'm getting ready to eat. The the camp pastor and the camp director go, hey, Scott, we need to talk to you right now. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I go outside. They're going, were you telling kids that Jesus had a tattoo? <laughs> I go, yeah, the rep book. Of, I said it sarcastically. Revelation's like, no, because these kids or parents are like, 
very strict. And they're like, these kids can't have tattoos or piercings. And you just said it was okay because it says on the Bible. And that's how they're interpreting it. So then the next day I have to go and like say, okay, kids, Jesus didn't have a tattoo, blah, blah, blah. Listen to your mother and father, please. Like, it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> but what makes, but then years later, I'm doing a team building group with a bunch of senior hires. And I'm asking about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to know them. So I'm like, okay, what's your name? And what's your favorite Bible verse? And I have these guys saying there's, and then there's some kids who are like, oh, I don't have a favorite Bible verse or blah, blah, blah. And me jokingly said, you know what I tell people who don't have a favorite Bible verse? I tell them, say, just say your favorite Bible verse is Ezekiel 20, uh, 23, 20. And they're like, well, what does that say? And I go, um, well, why don't you go in your Bible and look it up? Like, I wasn't going to tell them like what it said. So they go and they look it up. And then the next day they come back to me and they start reading it and they're dying laughing. They're dying laughing at this verse. So I say, yeah, that's like usually a joke. I tell people, if you don't have a favorite Bible verse, just tell them it's Ezekiel 23, 20. So then I guess after camp, a couple months later, a couple months later, um, <laughs> during service at this church that I was doing this team building with, the pastor started asking people, what's your favorite Bible verse? Literally, this guy stands up with his NIV and he goes, my favorite verse is Ezekiel 23, 20. Therefore, she lusted after her lovers whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose emissions was like that of horses and read that during Sunday morning worship. <laughs> Guess he got a phone call the next day from the from the youth pastor. I suppose that's better than the psalm where they talk about bashing babies' heads off of rocks, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's so. So again, when you're working with teens and youth, please don't be sarcastic. Be as serious as possible because they will think you're serious when you say. Jesus had a tattoo, and that Ezekiel 23, 20 is an appropriate verse to say is your favorite Bible verse in the Bible, which sometimes when people ask me that, I have to refrain from saying that because it's like, okay, I don't know this person, so I'm just going to say what it really is instead of my jokey answer. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, <sighs> any crazy stories like that, Mike? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I do have them. Um, oh, goodness. I've got so many. I, I really want to write a book down the road about this kind of stuff. I think so, too. And Hey, I'll, I'll be a co-writer. Here's some of my stories. Boom, boom, boom. It's like those books where it's like you could tell when it's like the other person writing it because it's usually like in a shaded box in the book or it's like one page. Here's my story. <laughs> well, actually, that's kind of the idea, right? Like I, mm. I want to do a... I think I want to call it like you can't make this up mm -hmm. and get collaborate with all my ministry friends on just the craziest stories they've had and you know just co-write it together put it oh, together yeah. you can have it broken down in sections the good the bad the ugly or the weird <laughs> and then maybe the fourth section the weird <laughs> yes. oh Micah this has been fun this is such a nice break from uh 
talking about Hillsong for the last three weeks. <laughs> I mean, you're the one that wanted to do that. I did. I did. I thought, it, but I mean, I think it was good because it's, it's stuff to talk about. It's something that's current, which I think is appropriate. But guys, again, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Seven podcast. I'm sure me and Micah could go on for another couple hours of stories, but I know you wouldn't listen to a podcast that long. So guys, thank you so much for listening to us. You can uh, also sponsor the Scott Seven podcast. You can go to my Ko-Fi page. And that is ko-fi.com slash the Scott Stedman podcast. You could be cool like Patty, who has been uh, donating $5 a month to this podcast to kind of help this podcast grow. So thank you, Patty, for your love and support. We appreciate it. Uh, but again, if you would like to sponsor this uh, podcast, you can go to ko-fi, ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash the Scott Stedman podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And we'll be back on next week with another episode. Take care.